further explore basic characteristics from each generation, from personal and lifestyle traits to workplace characteristics, to help us better understand who we are and how we are different. Let's talk about the icons. The icons of the greatest generation is Harry Truman. Okay. The icons of baby boomers, Howard Stern. Mm, okay. Generation X's icon is, of course, Kurt Cobain. For the millennials, they have Mark Zuckerberg. And the newest generation has Ariana Grande as their icon. I feel like we're putting the icon label on a little early in the process, maybe. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. Uh, We hope to share a lot of great information, have a little bit of fun along the way. As always, I am uh, joined by uh, my co-host on the other side of the microphone, Chris Boyer. You can find him at his website, ChristopherBoyer.com, uh, on Twitter and many of the other social properties out there at Chris Boyer or the handle Chris Boyer. And uh, Chris spends his days and weeks working with hospitals and health systems and health companies around the country. Uh, hey, man, how's it going? Pretty good. Good morning, Reed. On the other side of that microphone is Reed Smith. Reed can be found online with his handle at Reed Smith. And you can also find him on uh, LinkedIn and all of those other cool social platforms. His website's socialhealthinstitute.com. Reed is a digital marketing expert, a social media enthusiast, and apparently he is a generation exennial. Is that what you are, Reed? Uh, you know, depends on what article you look at, I guess, but something <laughs> like that. You're either a Generation X or a Millennial, according to how you define what um, what generation you're in. But anyway, mm-hmm. welcome mm-hmm. to the podcast, Reed. This episode of Touchpoint is brought to you by one of our sponsors, Transparently. Transparently is the nation's fastest growing platform for gathering and publishing physician star ratings and reviews. You can visit Transparently.com to learn why the country's most innovative health systems are choosing them to power a better digital patient experience. Again, to learn more, visit them online at Transparently.com. Great interview coming up later, and we'll leave that there for now, but wanted to uh, talk a little bit today about improving the way web visitors, you know, transact with you online. So for most people listening, that means a hospital website, how people are engaging or actually having some level of a transaction on your website. I think it's really important in this day and age when we talk about online consumerism, when we start looking at some of the most important touch points on your digital presence, it really is focusing on those online transactions. And there could be a variety of those different transactions, right, Reed? Like finding a doctor or making an appointment. Another you know, big reason people come to your website is uh, probably to pay a bill. Accessing your medical records, getting to your patient portal. We've talked about that before. Signing up for classes, tours, events uh, that could actually be signing up. It could be to RSVP, but you know something something of uh, education in nature. Also managing online permissions, and more important, most importantly, I think is opting in or opting out to things. Applying for jobs, you know, the careers portion of the website. Uh, is obviously a big one. And then you even get into some other like niche areas um, where you may have physician referral type uh, activities happening. Uh, could be forms, uh, could be just downloading forms uh, even. But some way that, that again, they're, they're transacting, not just reading information or consuming information, but actually filling out a form, clicking a button, you know, that type of stuff. And I think that aligns really closely with some of the studies that we've had around usability. If you go look what people are doing on your website, you'll notice that some of the top things they're doing are transactional in nature. This really speaks to that fact of consumers are starting to bring in expectation of the web, of all your digital presences, your websites, your social media, all of these things, as having the ability to help with their transactions, help them further themselves down that interaction that they have with your organization. 
Really what we're going to get into today is a little bit of a deeper dive into how to make that online transaction that much better, right? How, what are some things you can kind of keep in mind as you're looking at these tools, looking at the ways that they're transacting and trying to optimize these? But before we do read, maybe we should get into in general what we're seeing or what some studies have shown around the overall transactional nature of the internet. I think the expectation has evolved the expectations specifically around what people are able to accomplish online. I think we're seeing more and more folks, you know, all generations spending more time, you know, seeking out information online, but but maybe more than that is actually trying to accomplish or complete a transaction online. So, you know, shopping's the easy one. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody, I say everybody, I'm, I'm doing air quotes, but everybody, you know, uses Amazon to some degree. Some people are more power users of that and, and have things uh, routinely delivered or on a schedule delivered to their house and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what you're seeing is uh, even all the way down to bill pay and, and things like that, depositing checks in the bank. Right. You know, people don't, you know, like you think about like you used to go to the bank, like you don't go to the bank anymore. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah, not a that's not a thing. Even even from an ATM perspective, now with Apple Pay and all these different things, you're relying on technology and the transactional element of technology mm-hmm. to function through your life. Now, some of that's driven by what we what we like and feel and and want, and then other pieces. It's you know we're pulled along by the technology more on the uh, the business or the operations side of it. And the implication across the enterprise is significant. It really poses a bit of a challenge for those of us that are looking to optimize and and help improve that online experience. But I want to reference a study around uh, that that KPMG did, and they really focused in on that online consumer. And there's some interesting stuff that they did. They looked at a number of online consumers and just basically tried to set what that expectation is. What is that new set of expectations in 2017 that people have? And not surprisingly, some of the things that they found is that, first of all, all generations, regardless of which generation you're in, are spending more time seeking out and transacting with organizations online. Shopping, like you talked about, Reed, like the banking is a big one that's been impacted by this. Any kind of interaction that you can have with an organization, every generation is now looking to do that online. Another thing that they're finding is that they're not only doing these transactions, they're trusting these websites, the social media, the email, whatever it might be, whatever this digital touch point is, to make that transaction. So there's a higher level of security, despite all that we hear about bank cards being compromised, whatever it may be, there's a higher level of confidence in the security of that online transaction. And quick sidebar here, can we as a country get on the same page about whether you swipe or insert the card for debit payments? (laughs) Like seriously, like every place I go, it's different. It's like, no, we're going to need you to insert the card, sir. It's like, oh, okay. And then you go to the next place and insert it. And they're like, is that debit? Yes, it's debit. No, we're, we're going to need you to swipe for debit, insert for credit. It's like, can we not get on the same page relative to that? Anyway, back to this uh, KPMG study. Um, you know, mobile ha- has really been a, a boon for, for online transactions. Again, you know, a lot of the stuff that I'm ordering through Amazon is typically from my phone because we think about it in like this moment. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, hey, we need such and such or, you know, the kids, you know, they need this thing or that thing, you know, and it's easy just to pull your phone out, search on Amazon and go, oh, here it is. Mm-hmm. We just need a bigger size. You need a bigger size. Okay, great. You know, or saves time, gas, you know, all kinds of stuff. We're running all around town. I mean, overall, I think the consumer expectations are now demanding that online is, is a part of, if not exclusively, the way they want to transact with you. That allows us to dig in on some tips that we can have to organizations when they're starting to look to optimize those. And it expands over websites, social media, emails, marketing automation, CRM, multi-channel marketing activities that we're doing, anything that it is that we're trying to communicate or, or have, a, have a touch with people through digital, whatever that stakeholder audience is, this is a big thing. Yeah, it absolutely is. So with that said, uh, we've got another article here from uh, eConsultancy.com, 10 Principles for Creating Amazing online retail experiences. When I was reading that, I almost said uh, Amazon online retail experience, but I guess (laughs) it could kind of be 
it's probably it's probably pretty similar actually and again we'll have a link to it in the show notes but here are our 10 principles let me hit the first one here the consumers are on a journey and that seems like a simple principle but and we talk a lot about online consumer journey or online patient journey that sort of thing but the point is here that in this principle it's getting to the fact that people are actually using the internet now not only for entertainment purposes but when they're in a decision journey and we have to work hard to recognize and understand these journeys and really redesign our operations to optimize that journey. Uh, The second one, each journey comprises multiple steps and the consumer needs to feel like at least that they're in control of each and every step that they take. The, the thought here is, and what they talk about in the article, is that um, you know when someone comes to your website, it's probably not just a quick transaction. So, I mean, sometimes it is, I guess. But really what they're advocating for is that you know no two of these journeys will ever be alike. The steps that, that people take, uh, they need to feel like they've got options that they can go and they can control that interaction and carry it all the way through, you know, to a completion that they feel like that they got uh, what they want out of the process. The third principle is really the function of UX or the user experience. The article has some really great links to other other articles to kind of give some deeper meaning to this. But really, what they're talking about when you talk about UX, the user experience, like how often do they have to click? scroll, swipe, type, that sort of thing. We hear a lot about trying to optimize, make it the fewest clicks possible. But in this particular case, it says maybe these clicks and scrolling and the swiping and all of these actually add to the experience. And some users bring an expectation of that to the experience. They expect to have multiple pages of the form in some cases. The second part of this is value creation. And that's As they're going through this experience, as they're going through whatever that online transaction may be, that we're addressing the fact that there are pain points and when the pain points occur, we we are addressing how to translate those pain points into engaging experiences and then we weave value into it so that as they're going through this experience, that they're actually getting what they want out of it. And that, in a nutshell, is what the definition of UX is. And we could do a whole podcast about usability, UX, UI, which we won't today. And there's a lot of great stuff in this article to address that. So principle four in creating uh, an amazing online retail experience is to respect the fold. I think that's a good t-shirt. Respect the fold. (laughs) May get this printed up. People in this industry have talked about this for a long time, and it's still being... I mean, here it is again, principle number four. People uh, are much less likely to exert effort that they don't have to. So people don't want to scroll. They don't want to scroll down the page. They don't want to look for uh, different pieces of information. So it's still really, really important, especially in a transactional uh, space, to have all relevant information uh, above the fold. This is getting harder and harder to do because if you think about it, I would say, you know, quite a few people use a laptop. When they're at their desk, it's tied to a very large display, possibly. Then you've got phones and tablets uh, that are all different. And, you know, and when you're talking about voice-first devices, as we've talked about before, is the fold the very first voice response or the very first response, right? Is it that Mm. single true answer now? I mean, the fold is becoming sort of this... this not physical thing anymore. It's where is the fold in the future devices? And I think we'll just leave that out there to, to respond to. I think you just coined the term like, you know, audio fold. Exactly. Um, okay. Principle five, let data do the decision making. And so what this refers to is two things. First of all, is that the more transactions you have, the more data you have to kind of help improve that overall experience. And so data can really bring a good insight into when do we let this online transaction, what do we need, what's the minimal viable data that we need in order to make a good transaction, but also when they input data into this experience, let's say in a field or whatever, that that data should drive the very next piece of action. So for example, you know, if you're putting in your name and your information, don't ask for it again. Or if they say they're looking for a particular type of doctor, make sure the rest of the experience is driven by the data input that they had in that experience. Ultimately, data helps you to build the understanding of all those pain points and really drives people 
to make that decision much better. Principle number six, uh, apply best practices. I think that one's probably pretty straightforward. You should do that. There are lots of ways, lots of resources out there. Even through your own A-B testing and things like that, there's ways to figure out what works. There's groups to be a part of on LinkedIn where you can ask questions. There's uh, conferences you go to, etc. Uh, do not be scared and, and actually be purposeful about trying to figure out which of those best practices fit within the overall strategy of your organization and uh, put some of those into play. Principle seven, wireframes. Um, and we, we all know the concept of wireframing, but really wireframing is, is an important part of uh, designing that optimal experience in that it allows you to really look at the various you know, fields that are gonna influence both subjectively and emotionally that overall experience. And then trying out wireframes, wireframes are a great way to test to improve. It's a strategic tool that's designed to protect the customer experience plan and ensure that personal tastes and opinions of those of us that we're bringing into the experience are kept in check. Uh, Number eight or principle eight, design consumer first, not mobile first. And so we've talked a lot about responsive design mobile design, things like that. And, and those are all important as we see people you know, rely on their mobile devices more and more and uh, trust those devices and expect that the experience that they get is going to work on those. Now, we can't do that at the detriment of the desktop. You know, we still have a population, especially if you're talking about like accessing medical records or bill pay or things like that, where people are sitting down a lot of times in front of a desktop computer. We want to make sure that we're designing for the consumer, not for what we assume the consumer wants. And so there's ways to figure that out. Principle nine is design experiences for intent-driven micro-moments. Now, the term micro-moments is something that was coined by Google to describe the consumer's moment of high intent or that need for engagement. It's a great way to talk about those moments when the user's intent is being brought forward as a pain point. And then what you want to do is you want to start to design your experience to ensure that whenever that intentional moment of them making that next selection is as frictionless as possible. Understanding your personas, understanding the various different ways that they're interacting with your experience, whatever that might be, a form or a online appointment scheduling, whatever it is. And then ensuring that and we're translating that into an experience that minimizes that friction. And then finally, principle 10, uh, you want to make sure that you're, you're uh, continuing to look at, you know, how do you continuously improve? A couple of things, uh, data mining, insight gathering, hypothesis creation, that's kind of a part that everybody talks about and it, it's crucial. And so we want to make sure that we're continually trying to improve the experience and understand what people want. You know, iterative and, and agile development programming, that's the kind of the other piece that, that fewer folks talk about, I guess. But I think that the idea is, is being that, you know, do, don't just think that you're done. Continue to look at and, and um, you know, look for ways to improve the process. And consumers' needs change over time, right? And their expectations mm-hmm. change. And the form that you launched today in 2017, next year or even two years from now, may not be optimized for that experience, you know, in the future. So we just have to keep that in mind. You know, it's not a one and done. Oh, we launched the perfect form and then we walk away from it. And from for here on out, it's going to be the best experience ever. Okay. Now, after we cover these 10 principles, which got really deep in the usability and user experience read, I think what we want to do is maybe contextualize this a little bit by documenting a couple of use cases that um, hospitals and health systems can take forward here. That might be a little bit more, uh, maybe they can understand a little bit more how these principles are put into action. Let's do it. Okay, cool. Well, the first one is the online shopping cart. The find a doctor to make an appointment, or even in retail cases where maybe they're buying something from you online. I think this online shopping cart is a great use case that we can use to describe a little bit about this, how to optimize this online transaction. Yeah, and for a lot of folks that I deal with, this probably has a direct correlation to things like signing up for classes. Mm-hmm. Anything that you have to go through kind of multiple steps and add an element that like, hey, I would like this thing. You know, in a lot of cases, maybe signing up for childbirth or a tour. In this 
whole concept of the online shopping cart, one of the biggest things that people think about when they look at this is uh, an indicator of success is the abandonment rate. Have you heard that term before, Reed, the abandonment rate? Yeah, and I think, you know, it, it has a couple of stats in the, in the article that we'll post, but it's showing that the average desktop uh, or people on a desktop that, that are doing shopping, the shopping cart bailout rate is 74%. Tablets at 78% and smartphones is 84%. I wonder how much of that is driven based on, you know, the way we're messaging and talking to people. I can think of several on t- online retailers, for example, that until you add the item to the shopping cart, you can't see what the price is. Well, you're just asking for people to bail out. They're just trying to figure out how much the television is. Yeah. You know, and so it's like if I have to add it to a shopping cart to figure out how much the price is, I'm not I'm not trying to buy it right that second. Maybe I'm just doing research. And so another kind of piece to think about is, you know, how are you messaging? Are you holding information back or not? When you think about in healthcare, you think about, well, do a lot of people start that physician search with the intent to actually make an appointment with that physician or if there's starting that shopping cart experience around um, an online class about yoga or an online class around birthing is is the intention of their search to actually purchase something and that's a big thing that i think even retail organizations struggle with yeah so you have to understand how the shopping cart works in your environment and so to your point and to what I was talking about earlier about you know having to add the television to see how much it costs. If you have a class, for example, that's offered on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, mm-hmm. but they can't tell, is there room in the day that they want? They just know, okay, I'm looking on here. Mm-hmm. Currently, there's space for this class. Well, I can only go on Wednesdays, but I can't tell if there's space in the Wednesday class or if it's only showing that there's space available uh, because there's space available in Friday, but I can't do that until I get part of the way through the sign-up process. So, understanding those elements, um, I think, will will help alleviate some of that, and making sure that we're you know able to serve up the information up front, um, mm-hmm. so people can make that informed decision before they start the checkout process. Part of what you're talking about is this whole concept that's really big in the UX/UI: this persuasion versus conversion process, right? The persuasion process is getting all that research. The experiences that the consumers control to engage with relevant content aligned to understanding what their need is, whereas opposed to the conversion experience is that linear process of really requesting information to force them down to making a choice, right, to convert. And I think that that's a big struggle with people online. And we suffer from it a lot too. When you start that find a doctor experience, you're not always starting that with the intent to convert. A large portion of cart abandonment rates are simply a natural consequence of how users browse e-commerce sites or sites in general. But they say that that philosophy is a cop-out because quite frankly, Users come to your site or come to your whatever your your online experience is with the intention to engage and potentially buy. We have to present an online experience that accommodates for both. And I think, too, we've got to be careful to understand that the shopping cart is not uh, or the shopping experience does not necessarily equate across the board to all of our offerings. Exactly. Understanding the overall experience in totality is 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 important and realizing that you are yeah you are building this online transaction to help ultimately people choose your care but that's not the only reason but then when they are actually on the path to care it's really about optimizing that that path and one of the things that you know is often used when we're talking about this is just making it frictionless for people to make that transaction occur to actually complete that task. Yep. You mentioned, right, um, that you don't go to the bank anymore. All you have to do is take a picture of your check from the front and the back and you're done. And that is mm-hmm. a great experience. You know, and we're starting to see, and we'll probably continue to see from more of a retail standpoint or even other industries, um, you know, those best practices that we need to start looking at. Well, how do we equate that to healthcare? So the idea that you could go to a hospital website and pay your bill from your phone 
probably not that likely. Not not saying there's not ones out there that you could do that with, but that's probably less likely than some other industries. We'll we'll continue to see those other industries, you know, push the ball uh, down the court, and and hopefully, you know, we'll be able to take and and use some of those best practices. For us, you know, in healthcare, we we generally get it when people are starting to do some kind of online transaction in our heads i think we we know like what's the best way to optimize that we don't want to have like a uh, a 30 character password to get into your patient portal that doesn't improve the online experience and we know that if we want people to get to that they don't want to remember that to pay their bill we want to remove that as best as we can another uh, scenario that you see often I can't think of a good example in healthcare. I'm sure it exists, but it's the you know like you 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 pick everything you want and then you go to check out. Well, you can't until you create an account. Yep. You know that's another example of like, look, I just why can't I not just pay for this and be done? Why do I have to create an account? Or a lot of retailers do this. You know, they get you all the way through this process and then ask you for a bunch of information right at the end, mm-hmm. similar to creating an account. And so at that point, it's like you've already put time and effort in. Are you going to abandon it at that point? You know, the idea is that, you know, you've already spent enough time with them. They they hope you're then going to, you know, give them all this additional information right at the end. Again, how do we reduce friction uh, all the way through? Or how about this one, Reed? This has happens, um, you know, more times than I think we expect. Is that let's say you're you're trying to make an on, uh, an appointment online with a doctor, right? And you go through all of these things, figure out the right type of doctor. Maybe a lot of times, even up front, they don't even know the right type of doctor, so you make it a little bit harder. But then you get all the way to the end, and you hit the button to say, "Yeah, I'm ready to to choose that appointment, the right appointment for me." And then you see that there's no availability. That doctor can't doesn't take appointments, or right. the next available appointment is three months from now. And what happens right. right away? You're just like, what the heck? You know, this is like the whole experience has been blown because there's no availability. A good example of somebody that's getting that right is uh, a lot of concert venues. You go in and you pick your seats from the little map, so you know contextually where you're sitting and they're color coded by price and so you already know how much you're going to pay or they're about you know you do some quick math in your head or whatever and then it starts like a little clock and it's like we're reserving these tickets for the next five you know or eight minutes or whatever it is and so you're like okay good they're still going to be there once i finish filling all this stuff out and so there's some other industries that have done a nice job, you know, to make sure that they are communicating throughout the checkout process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that idea of like having a, a clock that ticks. It says, you know, particularly when you're you're reserving maybe a, a, an airline ticket that says, you know, we're going to hold this right. available for a certain period of time. But when you're actually going through the process of maybe researching the right doctor for you to make an appointment. I don't know if I like that idea of having a clock that ticks down that says, well, this appointment's only available for the next five minutes. You know, you have to make your appointment now. And, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into that decision that may or may not make that decision-making process available in the next 10 minutes actually a good thing. I think that's where we'll potentially start seeing some consumer feedback. And so you start seeing things like, you know, you see ratings and reviews already, <clears throat> you know, that people have rated the cleanliness and timeliness and friendliness, you know, bedside manner type stuff. Um, you know, potentially you start seeing the this doctor is able to see people on an average, within an average of five days, 10 days, six mm-hmm. months, you know, whatever it is. Again, I think as data becomes uh, more accessible, we'll be able to provide some of that. So that's, that's something you could potentially look at is you know, having an accessibility uh, type scale and or metric. Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes when you're making that doctor's appointment, you might be making it for someone else. So that that's the other thing that keeps in mind. And, and, and don't get me wrong, the airline analogy may apply here because oftentimes when I'm booking airline tickets, I may be booking with someone that I'm traveling with. So I do have to check with them. The other thing too is I think that there is an expectation now that when you're ba- making an appointment for care, or you're signing up for something through a hospital or health system, you wanna make sure you're getting the right data so you can make that decision. It used to be way back when it says like, 
the least number of clicks or the re collect the least amount of information possible in order to make that experience more relevant. And I think that now what we're doing is we're also bringing into the, this whole experience that, yeah, the least number is good, but I want a certain amount of information collected beforehand or I'm not really sure I'm booking the right doctor. The last thing I want to do is show up at the doctor's office and then have them say, wait a second, we don't cover your insurance. So I think that there's a concept now that we're adding mm -hmm. the right amount of steps into the process to legitimize that effort versus the minimal level of steps. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, you know, they've got a consumer experience platform that, that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else. They've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems. Kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. Touch point. Touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready, fight! All right, here we are at Touch Point, Touch Counterpoint, and today talking uh, a lot about usability and forms and, and really ultimately the way uh, users transact on your website. Um, my viewpoint on all of this for this particular argument is that uh, it, we're not too far off, maybe a couple of years, whatever it is, that all the hospital website will be is a sole transaction. What? There won't be there won't be definitional content, et cetera, et cetera. It's all going to be about a transaction because that's what the consumer is looking for. That's the only reason they're there. Wait a second, Reed. Are you suggesting? that all of that other stuff, like information about conditions, information about treatments, all that research stuff, even you know, um, videos about doctors and getting to know the doctors, that doesn't matter? It's all about the transaction? That is what I'm saying. I cannot disagree with you more. I'm gonna tell you this <laughs> here, Reed. I agree with you that transactions are important, but transactions are the end of a process. Still, it's very, very important for organizations to set up their differentiators. It's important for organizations to set up why online viewers, why online visitors should transact with you first. All of that other stuff is probably more important. It's the top of the funnel stuff that's most important, Reed. I think the top of the funnel stuff is going to continue to happen elsewhere, especially for... Now, I, I'm throwing out the the well-known brands that are around the country. Uh, I'm talking about 80% of the hospitals that are out there. The only reason someone comes to that website is to accomplish something in a transactional nature, apply for a job, pay their bill, sign up for a class, make an appointment, et cetera. And that's only going to accelerate and the expectation around what they can accomplish is going to uh, become bigger and bigger as well. And so we're, we're not going to have people there. There, This is going to be the end point. The hospital itself, the website itself is the transaction is the bottom of the funnel. I disagree. I have to say, Reed, because quite frankly, if you're going to count on third party websites, third party social media presences, Yelp or whatever to really define your competitive differentiator, 
you are going are, are seriously putting your your trust in other organizations and other people frankly to define your brand you as a hospital health system you have to use your website your social media to help qualify and quantify why they need to select you yes transactions are important yes but that's the end of the road. You have to build everything else up to be more important because quite frankly, you can't trust other people to do it for you. Mm, I, I, don't, I, don't think you, I don't think it's up to us that we're gonna trust or not trust somebody else to do it for us. I think that's gonna be the expectation of the consumer is that they're going to spend time on those third party sites and then end at the hospital website to complete the sale, so to speak. When you go out to an Amazon to go shopping, you look at the description of the product, you look at all this other stuff while you're making the decision. Uh, don't get me wrong, you're probably also looking at the reviews, but the reviews aren't the only thing that's out there. Really what you're trying to do is you're trying to understand more about that product, that service, that offering before you make the purchase. And I think that weighs in so much heavier than the actual transaction itself. But if you look at it on Amazon, it's all in one. I mean, the information and the transaction exist together. It's not, they're not separate. Yeah, but it's not one or the other. What you're saying, what you initially started this discussion around or this argument around is the fact that the transaction is the only thing that matters. What I am saying is it's not the only thing that matters. It's fact the end of the end of the end of the game. I, I think you're off. No, there's no way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think it, again, it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I, I yeah. think um, I think we'll see the transaction house the uh, brand research, uh, opinionated, stars ratings, reviews, all that stuff will be folded inside more of a transactional element uh, versus you landing and navigating yourself. You're going to land and actually engage and transact on the website uh, no matter what your purpose there is. Yeah, and Reed, I have to say that your, your point ultimately is true is that People don't come to hospital websites for fun. They're there for a purpose. Whatever you can do to facilitate them along the way with all that other information is to really support the fact that ultimately we want them to help. We want to help them transact with you better. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Experts section of our podcast. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing Julie Yu with Kairos. Julie and I have known each other for a number of years, and Julie is an expert in online appointment scheduling and trying to make that experience overall better. Julie, tell people a little bit about you, your background, and what you do. Great. Thank you so much, Chris. It's great to be on this podcast. Uh, this is Julie. Um, as Chris said, I'm uh, one of the founders and the chief product officer at a company called Kairos. We are a healthcare technology company uh, in the business of helping large health systems improve the way that their patients are getting matched to the right providers. What brought me into the healthcare world was um, really a set of experiences early in my career in the e-commerce space. And that's why I'm so excited about this particular topic is I spent the first several years of my career as uh, both a software engineer as well as a product person um, helping e-commerce companies improve their online shopping experiences for consumers and specifically with the business goal of number one, improving conversion rates and ensuring that any consumer visiting their website was getting what they needed and actually buying something. 
but then also maximizing the size of their shopping cart when they made that purchase. So mm -hmm. how are we able to improve visibility into the breadth and depth of a catalog and you know, make, make recommendations and ensure that they're not just buying the thing that they need, but potentially other things that they might like. I then transitioned into healthcare um, with the intention of bringing many of the best practices that I had learned in the e-commerce space into the healthcare world. And uh, we've been doing that ever since, um, since we started Kairos. Kairos has been around for about six years now. Why don't we briefly talk about the Kairos solution and how that sort of intersects with, with this topic of the online experience? Kairos has a product platform called Provider Match. And Provider Match, I like to say, is really divided into two components. Uh, one is our back-end provider data management system, which in e-commerce terms is essentially our digital catalog management system. And you know, the premise behind our solution is that your ability to find the right doctor is only as good as the data that you have about your doctors. Mm -hmm. And so part of the uh, value that we, we provide to our customers is the creation of a uniform, comprehensive, accurate, and up-to-date master database of all of your clinical assets. Um, and it's everything from physicians to nurses to other types of clinicians. It could be facilities, locations. And we explicitly integrate data from multiple heterogeneous data sources. So that's the back end of our system. Um, again, relates directly to you know what I experienced in the e-commerce world, that a critical part of, of doing e-commerce right was having good data about your products. Right. Then on the front end, yeah, we have a suite of applications that then operationalizes that data to um, various workflows, and we explicitly have a suite of products that um, cover all of the various access points through which patients can get appointments at a health system, a call center solution. We then extended that product by uh, releasing a consumer-facing solution, so really the e-commerce version of that application that powers um, online find-a-physician websites, um, as well as provides online scheduling capabilities. And then we also have a point of service uh, solution for referral management. Our, our health system customers are explicitly using us to do really three major things. Um, one is improve conversion rates of people who are already knocking on their door for services. So we found astounding stats. I mean, on, at baseline, some health systems are operating at like 20 to 30% conversion rates, um, which means, you know, literally seven to eight out of 10 patients who are asking for services or not getting them. Second is new patient acquisition. So certainly through the digital channel in particular, more and more consumers are doing online shopping, so to speak. And so how do we enable our health system customers to have a strong digital presence online? And then the third is patient retention. Once you as a patient are a customer of us, how do we retain you within our network? We really want to help enable consumers and patients to actually access their care easily and more readily and notoriously difficult to do in the healthcare setting because they're complex workflows. But one of the things that also makes this a little bit uh, challenging, the consumers themselves are coming into the experience with their own expectations of what that, uh, that scheduling, that online scheduling appointment would, would be like. So tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about your perspective on that. So, um, again, having come from the e-commerce world, many, many people make a comparison between, you know, what we do and, and their experiences shopping online, on Amazon, on Wayfair, on all these sort of modern consumer websites. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think there is a fundamental difference that I would definitely acknowledge, which is that, you know, buying a boot on Amazon um, that fits your foot and is the right color is very different than finding, you know, the right provider for your illness and, you know, reasons that you might feel pain or, or sickness. And, you know, interestingly, one of the paradigm shifts that we've certainly been trying to change in the industry is if you think back to and even look today on, on most hospital websites, many of them actually start with this question to you as a patient, what kind of specialist, specialist do you want to see? What kind of specialty do you need to go to? Mm -hmm. And I've always thought that that was um, a ridiculous ask of the patient to know exactly whether they need to go to a neurologist or a pulmonologist or a cardiologist versus being able to simply express what their need is or what their situation is mm -hmm. and have the system help them get to the right place. That, that is a distinct difference between a consumer shopping experience and a physician scheduling experience is just the esoteric nature of the clinical content you know, behind that ladder match um, is really at a different level of, of challenge um, to, to what you see in online catalogs. That's really where many Many consumers get tripped up, you know, because they do have, in some ways, a different, uh, the wrong set of expectations for what that experience should look like. That said, I think um, uh, lots of, of similarities apply in that 
I want to, uh, first of all, be delighted and, and have a simple experience that doesn't overwhelm me. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what many e-commerce websites have gotten right. Um, and that is, you know, certainly a more critical um, element of requirement for healthcare where, you know, we are dealing with just more um, kind of heavy topics, right? And and you're, you're dealing with patients when potentially they are in a, in a period of illness that mm-hmm. they're going to be stressed and they're going to be overwhelmed. And they, the last thing that they need is to go to a website and get stuck. And so I think that that is a reasonable expectation to bring into this world is that they are provided with a simple way to navigate through their options. Similarly, um, a lot of people take for granted the fact that you can shop online. Uh, you know, we, we also use a lot of analogies to the travel industry where you can book a three-leg complex flight from Boston to New Zealand online with one thumb on a kayak app, mm-hmm. but um, you, you can't do a, a, an online primary care doctor appointment booking uh, via a similar mechanism. And so um, I think part of the, the correct um, expectation that people bring in is that the actual ability to convert in a single visit to a website yeah. um, is something that people do expect. And that is somewhere where I do think that the industry is way behind. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe fundamentally that there's no reason that you should have to pick up the phone to schedule something as simple as a primary care visit or even a pediatrics visit or many of these sort of lower acuity type encounters that you might have with a health system um, should absolutely be digitized such that the human resources who are behind the call centers are focused on the truly complex needs that patients might have. Tell me a little bit about some of the research you've done around online appointment scheduling. I think one of the very exciting parts of of working in healthcare is that there is just so much upside. We're starting from such a basic baseline that, you know, some of the um, very simple things that, that health systems can do are still, you know, out there for the taking. So, you know, I think mobile has certainly been a big um, uh, driver of a lot of the evolution that's happened in over the, at least the last couple of years, as I've seen it. Anywhere between 60 to 75% of users who hit hospital system websites, and specifically the find a doc part of the website, are coming in through a mobile device. The second piece is, um, you know, not just thinking about find a doc in a vacuum. And you know, find a doc does tend to be the most trafficked uh, part of of a, of a website. But um, going back to uh, this notion of how do you distinguish different user segments, and you know, rec- and sort of design for specific use cases that these users are trying to accomplish through a website. Another thing that we see in our data is that there are clear distinctions we believe between users who are doing research and coming to um, a hospital website simply to learn more about, you know, maybe what they've been diagnosed with or what their mom has been diagnosed with and not necessarily intending to transact on their first encounter, but just learn more. And then certainly other users who we see based on their user behaviors that they come with an intention to book an appointment and, you know, whether or not they're disappointed by what they see, they, they have a, a very specific intent. And I think in the, in the first scenario, uh, what we think a lot about is how do you tie the find a doc to the rest of your global website experience? A lot of these health systems have tremendously valuable content that they can bring to bear in that patient's journey to help educate them about the options, um, connect them with other patients, um, you know, provide them with all sorts of multimedia content to, um, you know, to, to, to learn more. And oftentimes those two areas of the website are thought about as completely distinct areas and therefore have no intersection or no connectivity to each other. But, you know, more and more of our progressive customers are thinking about how do we do, how do we link those things so such that we're cross-selling um, users who appear to be doing more research-oriented tasks to the other aspects of our website mm-hmm. so that they'll stay mm-hmm. around longer. Um, so, you know, from that perspective, you know, the usability link there is that, that notion of, um, you know, providing users with guidance in terms of, of how they get through their goal and um, making sure that you're being explicit about that. In the latter use case, I think it's it's um, a, a strong balance between um, providing simplicity, but also um, you know acknowledging that you know healthcare appointment booking does have requirements that might uh, require an additional burden on the user. So many um, you know health systems when they're doing online scheduling for the first time, you have to integrate into these really legacy backend ref cycle systems that have onerous requirements for what information they need to collect from a new patient in order to register a new record in their system. And a lot of the guidance that we give to our customers is best practices around what is really the minimal set of information that should be required in those scenarios to 
be able to match um, uh, you know, sort of accurately to, and reconcile records on the back end so that you're not creating duplicate records, but you know, reduce the friction to the consumer to um, optimize the conversion rates. We believe that there's an optimal number of seven, you know, seven fields is really mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of that, that critical point where it's not too much that it overwhelms, but it's not too little that you can't match against those back end systems. When you say that um, you're looking at these different personas and they, you, know, you wanna give your find a doctor experience more integrated into the site, what do you mean exactly by that? We try to create liquidity in information. So rather than have a hard you know, firewall between you are in the find a doc experience versus you are in the core website experience, um, we have APIs that enable our customers to seamlessly embed content from one into the other and vice versa. Many of our customers have microsites that highlight service lines or centers of excellence or institutes that have a multidisciplinary focus around um, clinical services. Mm-hmm. And rather than historically what they've done is kind of hard-coded, you know, the list of, of doctors who are affiliated with that group, um, whereas our system allows you to di- basically perform a dynamic search, dynamically servicing um, the set of resources that are specifically relevant to that patient. And if you're using a more kind of sophisticated content management system that might be linked into your CRM, you know, imagine the possibilities of pulling in other information you know about this visitor, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, historical preferences or, you know, they speak Spanish and therefore show them providers who speak Spanish in their office. All these other dimensions come into play. The other thing I want to drill in a little bit on is uh, the abandonment rate, which is a, is a very common, you know, a measurement of the success of, of the actual action, right? Um, and uh, we've, we've surfaced some our, um, research that's been done that shows sort of the average uh, average abandonment rate across retail, which which resides around 74 to 78%. From an online physician experience, is it similar? Or are we seeing similar abandonment rates? We are seeing similar abandonment rates. We, we think about it also from the perspective of the conversion rate for any unique visitor coming to a find a doc website tends to be between uh, 10 and 25%, depending on what market we're looking at or what set of services uh, one of our customers provides. So yes, very similar. Mm-hmm. And you know what I um, like to do is, is kind of take that down to the next level, which is of that 100% of you know the denominator of users that are coming to the website, um, how many of them actually have the intention to convert to begin with? Right. You know, I mentioned this right. concept earlier where some percentage of them might have come just simply for research purposes. Um, we have a lot of you know, user stories around, I'm a consumer who is looking for a facility that I can get all of the services that I need in one place. So my, I have a family, I've got a kid, I want to see whether they have pediatric services and you know, gynecology services and men's health services and, oh, by the way, I have uh, cardiology conditions, so I want to make sure that they have really strong cardiology. So um, just doing simple research on whether or not this health system provides a comprehensive set of services that I need um, typically is distinct from I came to your search engine and did a search for the thing that I've been diagnosed with or the name of a provider that I've been referred to and have the intention of actually booking services with that person. And so if you do focus on you know the, the latter segment, you you tend to see higher conversion rates. Um, and then the other thing that kind of pans off of that is even if 100% of your consumers come to your website with the intention of converting, how much of your supply and services are actually convertible online? Um, and I think that's the bigger challenge for health systems these days is that you know we see that um, less than 1% of the available appointment inventory in a given health system mm-hmm. is published online today. So, you know, again, even if you're trying to find cardiology services, this health system might not even allow for online scheduling within their cardiology department. Um, and those, and that's for, you know, legitimate uh, challenges, right? There's both technical yeah. challenges, there's change management and, you know, just kind of cultural change to, um, you know, even figure out what it would take to allow Jane Doe off the street to mm-hmm. book an appointment into a specialist practice mm-hmm. and the clinical implications of getting that wrong, right? The stakes are pretty high for getting that wrong and getting the patient to the wrong place the first time. So we've done a number of episodes around artificial intelligence, voice first technology. Yep. Tell me, tell us a little bit of your perspective on how does that, how will that impact this experience? You know, one is I, I do think that there are certain aspects of appointment scheduling that absolutely are commodity and that should be automated with things like chatbots and um, that you could actually move a a pretty significant portion of the appointment uh, sort of scheduling activity from live human beings sitting in a call center to a more automated chatbot type modality. So we actually have some prototypes out there that are doing this and essentially leveraging the intelligence in our search engine 
um, exposing specific questions to the end user and automating the process of doing that triage and that booking process. Another um, application of, of AI is um, around appointment management and really optimizing uh, no-shows and you know mm -hmm. making sure that once once you have converted that the yield from those conversions is truly as close to 100% as possible. I mean, some markets that we work in have no-show rates upwards of you know 25 or 30 percent, which is you know huge. Mm -hmm. um, and you know we're doing a lot of um, experimentation around uh, you know things like smart wait lists. So if you are a patient who's been booked multiple weeks out and then a sooner available appointment uh, opens up for either the same provider or a similar provider who is within the geographic range and still takes the insurance and all that good stuff, let's send them a text message and offer that up. And if they opt in to reschedule, do that in a completely automated fashion, which you know allows for significant optimizations of the call center resource that most of these health systems have. Um, typically, we see multiple FTEs dedicated to doing those outbound calls, whether it's in the practice or in a centralized call center. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a huge um, efficiency gain that um, can be had by, by leveraging some of those technologies. Really appreciate all the time that you've, you've given us today. If people wanted to learn a little bit more about you and even Kairos, what's the best way for them to reach out to you online? Yeah, great. So you can always um, uh, follow me on Twitter. Um, Jules Yu is my handle on Twitter, and I'm always tweeting about patient experience and, and things related to this topic. So that's one place to uh, connect. Our website, kairos.com, has a tremendous number of resources related to some of the topics that we talked about here today, white papers, case studies, um, a blog post you know, related to the research that we're doing. Um, and then I'll, I always like to point people to our Atlas Conference, which is our annual thought leadership event on um, on, on all things patient access. Um, it's a, a bit of short notice right now. It's actually happening next month in uh, September in, in Boston. Mm -hmm. And the website for that is atlasconference.com. Well, Julie, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much as well, Chris. All right, with that music, we are coming to the end of our podcast, and this is the section where we not only talk about what's going to be happening soon, we actually talk about some recommendations. As I said in the last podcast, I am going to be paneling a session at the Content Marketing World 2017 Conference and Expo in Cleveland, Ohio. It's going to be on September 8th, which is a Friday where I'm going to be paneling yep. a session with other healthcare experts in the industry to talk about the future of technology in healthcare. So it's a panel session. It's going to feature Brian Gresh and some others around where we're going to be talking about um, sort of the impact of technology and digital in healthcare. So I'm really looking forward to that. So September 8th, 2017 at Content Marketing World Expo and Conference in Cleveland. And then the other uh, the other thing that we have coming up, you can navigate over to hcic.net, uh, like Healthcare Internet Conference. That is in October here in Austin, Texas, October 23rd through the 25th. Uh, Touchpoint will be there uh, live. I guess we're always live, but we'll be in front of other people who are also live. Uh, we'll be there uh, on Tuesday afternoon. We'll be recording in front of a live audience. And so that'll be fun. Uh, we've done that before. And so we've got that coming up at the Healthcare Internet Conference. So hcic.net, if you're going to be there, let us know. Uh, we'd love to hear and uh, hear from you and, uh, and sync up while we're there. But, uh, what recommendation do you have this week? Well, Reed, my recommendation is this. Do you write thank you cards? Uh, I do, actually. Yeah. And I, th yeah. I think that's something that is very good manners and it's something that I have to admit that recently I have started to do quite more and more frequently. And that's probably because I'm, I'm getting married. And so a lot of people are sending out things and, and gifts, etc. And so my recommendation is going to be around a really cool type of note card that I recommend very highly. It's called a Curious Collection, 20 different note cards and envelopes. These are not traditionally thank you cards, but these are actual cards, note cards, that have really cool prints on them. Um, cars and photographs and pictures of animals and nice. even coffee shop, uh, coffee cups. So uh, this is a curious collection of 20 different note cards and envelopes. I use them quite, quite often. I have them right here on my desk and I send them out whenever I can, whenever I want to send a thank you. 
What do you got? I'm going to recommend a uh, a tractor for this week. What? A tractor. A tractor? Uh huh. What do you mean? Uh huh. Like that you like that you ride on, like if you have land or you're a farmer, I guess. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about, well, what have I done the most of this week? And that's what I've done the most of this week is drive a tractor around. And so I actually ha- I actually own a tractor. Um, it is a John, it's a, it's a John Deere, of course, uh, a John Deere three series. And so in all honesty, it's probably not exactly what you're thinking of. It's, I mean, it's decent size, but it's probably a rotting lawnmower on steroids versus uh, what most people think of. Like I'm not bailing hay or anything like that, but it serves my purposes and it's a great compact utility tractor, uh, front end loader on it, all that kind of good stuff. So it's also a great way to not look at a computer. So, uh, I recommend it for uh, therapy as well. <laughs> So a John Deere, uh, John Deere three series. Let, let me ask you something, Reed. You've been riding a tractor a lot this week. Yes. So when you're on that tractor, do you listen to music? Mm-hmm. Do you have your iPhone on? Do you listen to things? Mm-mm. I don't take any. I don't take any technology with me. I, I love it. I love it. Well, what I yeah. well, um, that's awesome. I think that's probably one of the biggest things we've ever recommended on this podcast, Reed. Yeah, I can't imagine anybody's actually going to um, buy a tractor based on my recommendation. However, uh, I do uh, I do recommend it. If people do want to buy a John Deere tractor, I don't think you can buy them on Amazon. No, probably not. But contact me; I can I can uh, put you in touch with somebody that can sell you one. So. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, cool. Well, Reed, this has been a really great podcast we went all the way from website usability and and form usability all the way to a john deere tractor i don't think i would have done there you go um, we want to thank once again julie Yu for her great expert insights in her interview if you would make your way over to itunes rate review share with a friend we would certainly appreciate it he is chris boyer i'm reed smith we had a blast and we'll see you next week